The Happy Pair podcast is sponsored by Vivo Barefoot. Use the code HAPPYPAIR15 to get 15% off at checkout. If I was to ask you right now, what do you want in life? Probably the most common answer I'd get, I just want to feel happy. Today's guest is remarkable. This is a conversation both me and Dave finished by going, that was so much fun, so interesting, and I learned so much. And so much of it is, is, is in contrast of how most people are living. Arthur Books is a Harvard professor who lectures about happiness. In he's the Harvard a, Business School. Yeah, he's a, he's a number one best-selling author. He's just released a book with Oprah Winfrey, which is number one on the New York Times bestseller list called Build the Life You Want. He's a social scientist that specializes in the science of happiness, how to turn happiness into a skill. And he is so inspiring. 59-year-old man that is just, He's wow. super lit and he gives actionable habits. This podcast is a must listen. Arthur talks about the four false gods of happiness. He talks about, well, the three false gods of happiness. He talks about the four pillars of happiness, which are the cornerstones. He talks about social media, about relationships, about love, all these basic, simple human things and how they all relate to happiness. This is a showstopper, this podcast. This is a conversation that relates to everyone because there's very people I know that don't want to feel happier. Makes a huge distinction between happy and happier. Anyway, this is a podcast that massively inspired us and we think it's going to be of huge value to you. The ultimate compliment that you could pay us is to share it with someone that you think that wants to be a bit happier. And an ultimate, ultimate compliment you could give us is press the follow button. It matters to us more than you might think. The bigger the podcast gets, the bigger the guest gets, the better the show gets. So it would be a huge service to us. Ident- identical twins. Happy birthday. I get, you know, the double entendre. Nice. Nice. No, what's he, nice. Well, I'm, only, I'm only catching up here. Yeah. That's good. Hey? What, that's what, what, is the, like, what is the science about identical twins and happiness? Have you come across anything in that? I have yeah. actually haven't looked. I mean, I, what, what we know from the identical twin literature is only the, the literature on identical twins that were separated at birth and adopted into separate families. Because that's a that's an almost quasi experimental condition where you can statistically net out the happiness and personality characteristics that are nature and nurture. Because you guys are DNA carbon copies, yeah, but you're going to be different because of different experiences. And so we want to know what percentage of your personality is genetic and what part is actually experiential. So that's the stuff that we know from the identical twin literature. Yeah, okay. And so it's, it's the case is about 50% of your shared mood, uh, your affect levels is genetic. And the other half is the difference in experience. Of course, you guys working together for the past 20 years, you have the same life too. In, in so many ways. And we've always equated that we both feel quite secure. And part of the reason maybe is that you have this unconditional, you know, in Spanish, that medi naranja, like your other half, someone that always understands you, kind of accepts you where you're at and kind of, Underneath, even any quibble, it's like, Asher, grand. Which yeah, did makes... you marry twins too? Did you no. like, do one of those weird things? So, sometimes, no. sometimes I think that might have been easier, but no. no. But, but it isn't about ease, Steve. No, it's you. about the journey. It's about satisfaction. It's not about ease. Come there on. There we go. Yeah. No, I, no, I, no, I understand. That's, that's, that's interesting. La media and is a great expression, although it's usually used in the romantic sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah As a matter of fact, there was a famous show on, on, on Spanish television called La Media Naranja, where yeah. they would actually get people and pair them up. Nice. Like a love Yeah, it was reality. kind of like a reality show. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it has the nice yeah. Okay, okay. One place I'd love to jump off is that, like, I look at our social programming. I look at our cultural programming. Like, us, yeah. like, it's baked into our society that, you know, 
And I and it felt like it's the same thing that leads us around blindly, like subconsciously, is that and what is it? Money, money, <laughs> fame, power, pleasure, sex, all the basic drivers. Like these are the things yeah. that we think lead us to happiness. But yeah, that's they're right. not. Yeah, but they, know, but they it, seem it, like they 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 don't seem to lead to long term happiness. They they don't because they're not the final goal that will actually bring us happiness. But but we keep being fooled by that. And you know, people will chalk that up to capitalism or something that's completely wrong. Capitalism is nothing more than an accelerant on our natural natural tendencies. The problem is that Mother Nature is lying to us. She lies all the time. Mother Nature tells us that if we go after money, power, pleasure, and fame, that we will get ultimate happiness, that success in the earthly realm is going to bring us happiness. And she's lying to us because she really only has two goals, survival and gene propagation. She wants you know, she wants you to make a whole bunch of money and get plenty of calories and have 75 kids. That's what Mother Nature wants. And she tells you, oh, she's lying. She says, if you get those things, then all is going to be well and you're going to be happy because you want to be happier than you are right now. But it's not true. And she doesn't care. But you never figure it out unless you, 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 you take the divine path as opposed to the animal path in your life. You have to use your prefrontal cortex as opposed to just living in your limbic system of your brain like a lizard. And that requires a little bit more thought and thinking and science and knowledge and maybe some time and prayer, depending on what your thing is. And is that why you talk about the importance of thinking rather than feeling in terms of happiness? Yeah, for sure. So feelings are, I mean, in modern culture, we you know, it's, we're all about feelings, you know, feel, I, and we talk about good feelings and bad feelings, which is completely wrong way to think about it. As a scientific matter, there's no such thing as bad feelings because feelings, aka emotions, are nothing more than information that are being produced by the limbic system of the brain, an ancient console of brain tissue deep within your brain that has one job, which is to take the outside stimuli, which is coming in through your brain stem, and, and, and to turn that into emotions so that you know what's going on and know how to react. Negative emotions, sadness, anger, fear, disgust, this just says there's something aversive for you to avoid. Not good for you, avoid that. And the, and the, the happier emotions like joy and interest and a feeling of love or surprise, that just means something's awesome, go do it. You're gonna get your calories and maybe some mates if you do it, but there's no good or bad, it's just information. The only foot where we were is Vivo Barefoot. Back a number of years ago, probably about seven years ago, friend Tony Riddle said, lads, what foot size are you? And I was like, what do you mean, Tony? He said, I'm going to get you a pair of shoes that are going to change your life. And I was like, come on, it's a pair of shoes. Uh, he got us these black Vivo Barefoot shoes. And since that day, the only shoes I wear, whether I'm on the farm, whether I'm going running, whether I'm doing whatever I'm doing, I only wear Vivo Barefoot shoes. So much so last night, he, we had a party and it was a fancy dress party and Stephen wore a tux and he wore his black Vivo barefoot normally shoes. Normally I wear like, you got to wear those pointy kind of dress shoes with a heel on them and your my feet normally hurt afterwards. And uh, I was wearing these cool, I think they're Addis is the, the style. And I felt like I wanted to go skateboarding. Like I felt cool in them and groovy. I think wearing Vivo barefoot shoes, studies have shown that if you wear... Vivo Barefoot Shoes for six months, your foot strength will increase by 60%. You get more feedback from the environment and they encourage you to move more. As we were saying, they're the only shoes we've worn for the last seven years and we've sought them out and become good friends with them. They're an amazing business, a B Corp business. And really about 
doing the best that they can do as a business to better the world. They've offered you 15% discount off any Vivo Barefoot shoes. They have a full range of women's, men's, kids in all different styles. Uh, simply use the code HAPPYPAIR15 at the checkout. And really, we found it to be so beneficial for building strong knees, hips, backs, and for general. Like, I really find it helps me move more and feel more at home in my body. And what will that code give you? It gives you 15% discount off any pair of Vivo Barefoot shoes. Just go to vivobarefoot.com. And use the code HAPPYPAIR15 to get 15% off. The problem is that we're too controlled by our emotions. We're managed by our emotions because somehow we think that it would be really great if we got rid of all the negative ones and we could have only positive ones. You'd be dead in a week if that were the case. The point is you need to manage and understand and learn and grow from all different emotions, good and bad. And that's the secret to living a happier life. Yeah, because many people think to be happy means not to have any negative emotions. And you talk about how like anxiety and fear and these sadness, people want to wish them away. But as you said, without them, we'd be dead in a week. Their, their purpose right. is to give us information so that we adapt to our environment so we survive and we hopefully one day reproduce. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, one good example of that, of course, is sadness. Nobody wants to feel sadness. Nobody wants to feel grief. But you did, if you didn't have sadness, which is an emotion that's, that's tapping a part of your limbic system, an ancient structure called the dorsal anterior cingulate cortex, which makes you feel affective pain. It makes you feel, you know, if, if you break your arm, it makes you say, that's the part that makes you say, I hate how this feels. And if somebody rejects you or walks out on you or breaks your heart, you say, this is just awful. If somebody dies, it makes you feel grief. But, but if you didn't have that, if you didn't actually have those feelings, you'd be fired from your job. You'd have no friends and you'd be, and, and your spouse would leave you summarily. And you'd be, you know, 500,000 years ago, walking the frozen tundra and dying alone. Today, you just have nobody in your life. You need sadness so that you'll be averse to actually letting love get away from you. It's a very important emotion. Yeah, it's almost like the important part of the feedback loop to help us adjust so that we can prosper. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Absolutely. Now, it can be maladapted. I mean, it can be, for example, a classic case of that is fear. You know, fear is something that's supposed to be intense and episodic. It stimulates the amygdala part of your brain. And that sends signals down through to the stress, the stress of, uh, to the adrenal glands above your kidneys that spit out stress hormones. You know, you hear a twig snap behind you as you're walking through the forest. Your first thought is not, I bet that's a good friend of mine coming up behind me. No, no, no. Your, your amygdala makes you take off running and that saves your life a lot. The problem is it's maladapted to modern life because all we have is kind of vague, constant sense of threats, unfocused sense of threats, you know, witter, <laughs> all the stuff that stresses people out. And, and the result of that is we get something called generalized anxiety. And generalized anxiety is nothing more than unfocused fear which is a maladaptation of the fear response. That's And understanding that is huge because you don't need benzodiazepine drugs. You don't practically even need therapy to take care of that. You just simply need to focus your fears and stop doing all the things that are freaking you out. Wow, okay. Okay, got it. Okay, so say, say we've got those, those four fake idols. You know, we've got money, power, fame, you know, pleasure. Those are the four fake gods right. of happiness, which yeah. which a lot of us kind of fall into those traps every single day. You know, it's there. It's yep. every single day. It's one of them is sitting on our shoulder going, do this, do that. Or like what, what in your research have been, or like uh, in your teachings are the real pillars of happiness? Yeah. So these are the things that you can, you can get help get to through those idols. If they're transitional kind of goals. 
But what you really want to get to are the things that will last. They're not the things that Mother Nature is trying to make you uh, tend toward, but they're the things that really will bring you lasting satisfaction and happiness, which are a sense of faith or philosophy of life. In other words, a, a sense of the transcendent, things bigger than you, family life, where these are kin, the mystical relationships that we didn't choose. You know, the two of you, I bet you can drive each other into a rage faster than any other single person on the planet. And yet this is a mystical relationship that you can't quite explain. Super important for your happiness, obviously. Friendship, friendship, which is in decline all over the world right now, because mostly because of the way that we use electronic, the way, the way that we use technology in our communications, which is really deleterious to it. And that's really important to have friendship. The, some of the most intimate relationships that we have, and last but not least, is the way that we see our work, which is to earn our success, to create value so people need us and to serve others. That's it. You know, the, the faith, family, friends, and work, that's it. Now, we de do these things in different ways, but if you're not subscribing to or putting an investment in each one of these four pillars, you're not going to be as happy as you could be. Well, that, that, that's family, friends, and work. And work is that sense of service and that's that opportunity to add yeah. value to this. And that, and that links journey. up beautifully to when you look at the, the regrets, the main regrets of the dying. You know, when people are dying, yeah. it's typically when they really understand it's like, oh my God, it wasn't money. It wasn't fame. <laughs> it wasn't fortune. I wish I'd spent more time with my family. I wish I had, you know, spent more time with myself. I wish, you know. It, I'd let it's myself those, be happier. Yeah, I wish I'd prioritized yeah. my friends. It's those kind of simple, basic things. So what you're saying makes yeah. a lot of sense. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, nobody says on their, you know, on their deathbed, I wish I had worked harder to get more Instagram followers. It's just, <laughs> and, and yet that's what people try to do, right? Yeah. I wish I'd spent more time scrolling TikTok. I mean, it's just, it's, it's absurd on its face. I wish I had bought more crap. This is not what people are actually saying. And so if you can actually imagine yourself, this is the reason people say, live like it's your last day. Now, you can't do that. Because if you live like it's your last day, you'd pretty quickly run out of money and drive everybody crazy around you. But do think what your last month should look like and ask whether you're, whether you're focusing your priorities on those things. You know, Stop polishing your leaves and start tending to your roots a little bit and your roots and the people around you, the relationships that you need. Start thinking about your worldly attachments. By the way, including to your opinions, which are the greatest attachments that people have, you know, contradict my politics and I'll come and kill you. You know, that's cancel culture in a nutshell. That's just an attachment. At the end of your life, do you want people to, do you want to be thinking about your life? Yeah, well, I was never wrong about politics. What a waste. <laughs> what a waste. And so be thinking about those things and be focusing on, you know, the transcendent things that really matter, the relationship that you have. Uh, with your faith or philosophy, how you understand the awe-inspiring metaphysical things in life, your family relationships, because those are the people who are going to be around you, including, by the way, your family members you don't particularly like, but who you know would take your 3 a.m. distressed phone call, your friendships, which are you know these, these, these incredibly intimate relationships, and last but not least, the legacy of what you actually bring by serving other people through your work. These are the things that you want, you'll want then, and working toward them now will bring you the greatest happiness at the present moment. I Amazing. love this. This is really, this is really, here, can I have a go? Yeah. You sure? Yeah. Great. Thank you. Uh, okay. Friends and friendship and community. Yeah. As you said, friendship is diminishing. We're living in a society where the digital age is almost pervading in many people, like that people have a version of themselves in the physical world and they have a version of themselves online. And there's kind of almost in, at times they're at conflict. Um, I wonder if right. we could talk about the importance of community in terms of happiness, because a friend of ours, Dan Butner, will often say, we're a product of our environment, our health, our happiness, right. it's contagious. 
is happiness contagious? And Dan often says that one of the single biggest thing you can do to make yourself happier is to move to a place where there's happier people. Yeah. And another thing that you can do to make yourself happier is to try to create the contagion, the emotional contagion of happiness around you by basically saying, I'm going to change the I'm going to change the ecosystem that I'm in. So one of the things that I'll recommend to people who don't like their jobs or in a pretty unhappy workplace is to get up at two o'clock in the afternoon, go to the break room, get a cup, fresh cup of coffee and bring it to the person in the next cubicle and simply say, you look like you could use a fresh cup of coffee and start to do those things that are kind of an emotional contagion. Let them emanate from you. Yeah, go to a happier place. But number two, create a happier place, notwithstanding your feelings. This is a super important thing that, that we all can actually do. And it shows us there's a, as we say in my business, an endogeneity. In other words, individual to the community, community to the individual, individual, and you need a feedback loop. And it can actually start with you, either by moving or by changing what you do. That's called an endogeneity. An endogeneity. Yeah. An endogeneity. That's a great something word. Is, I know. I know. So it's like, this is how we get tenure in academia is by making up complicated words for simple ideas. You have some good words. No. I've noticed you have some really good words. Uh, yeah. Big could... long ones. Like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, but when something is exogenous, it means it comes in from the outside. When something is endogenous, it means it's already in the system. Like in the horror films where, where, you know, where the operator says, it looks like the call is coming from inside the house. That's how you remember it. That's endogenous. Okay, gotcha. Well, I think of endo, you know, there's all those endometrius, endo, endo. Yeah, yeah, there are those kind of things. Yeah, inside. means inside. But in essence, I think what you're saying is that we have much more agents than we think. And that rather than us being passive and going, I live among sad people. Every moment we have an opportunity to change. And what we emit, almost life will reflect us. So if we suddenly rather than feeling miserable about ourselves, it's often said in spiritual practice, the most selfish thing you can do is to help another person or give to another person because ultimately it comes back to you. And the the same way in terms of that is that like you smile, like, you know, a yawn, a yawn is contagious. I yawn and someone else will yawn in the room. Whereas if you smile with someone in a train, they'll generally smile at someone else. Like a smile is contagious, you know, so to become the ultimate contagion, it starts with smiling at a stranger. That's right. You know, emotional contagion is a, is a real thing that's been empirically, you know, verified. We've seen it in tons of studies. The problem is it's very easy to actually cut the positive feedback loop and turn it in another direction. You can, just by being a jerk in traffic, you can actually change somebody's day for the worse. It's very important that we realize that, you know, who people's lives that you've made worse simply by honking at someone for no particular reason because you're having kind of a crummy morning. You know, we have to be very responsible for our actions. This is kind of the butterflies' wings that flap across some place in the Indian Ocean that turns into a hurricane. Somehow, through this kind of chaos theory of life, emotionally, things work the same way. Little things turn into big things. We have to actually try to stimulate a little bit of positivity around us and take that responsibility, but also responsibility not to stimulate a negative feedback loop in, in, in the world around us. Mm. It's a great reminder about the importance of agency and taking responsibility because I think yep. we live in an age where responsibility is often deflected and blame. Your fault. Your fault. No, yeah. not me. Okay, okay. So so the aspect of responsibility in terms of happiness. You know, most of us look externally for happiness. We look outside of ourselves for as we said these four, you know, fake gods of happiness, you know, money, fame, power, pleasure, whatever. You know, what are things that like, you know, you talked about the deeper things of family, friends, faith and community or meaningful work. Those are the four deeper things. Um, But what are like you talk about? Oh, I forgot my question. 
No, I, I, I'm going to go. Okay, straight you build off a riff off it. Enjoyment versus pleasure. We live in a pleasure based yeah. society. We live in a society where we all, I feel crap, I feel poor, I'm going to turn to chocolate, I'm going to turn to a cup of coffee, I'm going to go off and. Yeah masturbate, whatever it is, just to get pleasure versus, <laughs> oh, you know, that's often in our world. But in terms of enjoyment is hard. Pleasure is easy. Yeah. I wonder if you could articulate this and just. Yeah. Yeah. So what, you know, when the first day when I teach my graduate class, um, which is I had these two huge sections of this happiness science class, two sections of 90, I have hundreds on the waiting list. There's this illegal Zoom link they think I don't know about. Why? Because, you know, the students, they want to understand the science of happiness because it's important to their lives. And on the first day of class, I say, okay, what is it? And they all get it wrong. The biggest problem that we have is that we think happiness is a feeling, which it isn't. Can you imagine what a crummy life it would be if your happiness were a feeling? That means we're just like, I sure hope I'm happy today. I hope the feeling comes to me today. It's not. Feelings are evidence of happiness. Happiness is a combination of three macronutrients. And I know you guys understand this language as well as anybody in, in podcast world, because this is your bailiwick, the, the three macronutrients of happiness are enjoyment, satisfaction, and meaning. That's what you need to have in balance and abundance, kind of like the protein, carbohydrates, and fat that you need to have a, 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 a diet that will sustain you and keep you healthy. So the first of those is enjoyment. And a lot of people get it wrong by thinking it's the same thing as pleasure. Back in the day, you know, the hippies used to say, you know, before I was conscious of it, that, you know, that, that if it feels good, do it. You know, that's kind of the mantra of Woodstock. I remember my father, you know, hearing that and saying, that's the end of America. <laughs> you know, he, he was kind of right. But anyway, the, the, the problem with if it feels good, do it, is that it, 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 it taps the pleasure button, which is a limbic system button. Now, remember, the limbic system is an ancient set of structures in the brain. It's not the conscious part of the brain. And there are parts of the limbic system, like the ventral striatum, where if you tap it, it makes you feel good. And you can tap it again and again and again and again. And that's the reason that if you pursue pleasure in anything that might be, uh, that might be uh, addictive, you, you'll just ruin your life. You'll just become a junkie. And that's the reason that pornography is so dangerous. It will capture your life and take it over and, and really ruin your quality of life. Alcohol can be used so incredibly irresponsibly and drugs and gambling and you name it, it gets brain capture when you're doing pleasure. Now, that doesn't mean you don't have to do things that bring pleasure. You just have to add two things to pleasure to turn them into enjoyment, which is a conscious activity involving your, your human executive brain called the prefrontal cortex, the front of your brain. You take the source of pleasure and you add people and memory. So pleasure plus people plus memory equals enjoyment. And this is what this basically means. If something gives you pleasure and, 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 and it can be addictive, never do it alone. Never do it alone. You never see a beer commercial where there's a guy alone in his apartment pounding a 12-pack. That's not a good beer commercial. That's how lots of people use the product. But that's a bad beer commercial because that's the pursuit of pleasure, which is dangerous and irresponsible and life-ruining if you do it over the long term, right? So what do, you, what do they show in the commercial? The guy clinking. It's like you guys, if you did a beer commercial, you'd be together clinking the beer bottles together and, and maybe with some friends because that adds people in memory and that's enjoyment and that's good. You want to make sure that you're at the, in the casino with all your buddies, not alone at 4 a.m. pulling the lever on the slot machine. That's the reason that pornography is such a dangerous business. It's a lonely thing. Is yeah, it's the, not you know, the use of it. And, yeah, I, I'm, at least I've never heard. <laughs> like <laughs> I can't, that, that was one where I was going, well, it doesn't strike up for porn because if you add people and memories, I don't know how that works. You know? <laughs> yeah, but, well, that's the reason that pornography doesn't really have a productive use. 
doesn't no. actually have a use that's that's that, that sort of can be good for you. That's also one of the reasons that social media is so dangerous is because nobody says, let's get together in a group and use social media. I mean, you can have people in different locations that are communicating by social media simultaneously, but that's not typically how it gets done. It's a lonely thing. And it's a source of, of, of emotional numbing. And that leads to this really addictive behavior and that lowers quality of life. Well, can, we, can we dig more into that? Because that's something that is like, as you said earlier, like, you know, trying to get X amount of followers, it's so common, like social currency, getting 10,000 yeah. followers or 10 followers or 10 million followers. Like what is the social science behind happiness and social media and the use of it, the consumption, the prevalence of it? Yeah, so there's a ton of literature on this and it's getting more and more and more clear. There's a guy named Jonathan Haidt, H-A-I-D-T, who teaches at New York University at the Stern School of Business. And he's the world's leading expert on this right now. And he's also completely fearless about this. And he says, just point blank, it's bad for your mental health. The way that we use social media is bad for our mental health. And it's really bad for our happiness. Two separate things, obviously. Why? Well, to begin with, what it is is a substitute for friendship. It's a substitute for what we really need. Now, to understand this, we have to understand there's this neuropeptide in the brain We've actually all heard of it, but we don't know how it works, most of us, called oxytocin. Oxytocin functions as a hormone, and it bonds you to other people. But to get it, you need two things, eye contact and touch. And that means in real life, IRL, man, you need in real life relationships. When the problem is that when we're really lonely, it usually means that we have a scarcity of oxytocin. It's like the monkey on our back. It's like, I, I need something. I don't know what it is. I'm uncomfortable. We need this, and it's an evolutionary thing that we would be bonded to our kin, to our children, so that we will stay close to them. And it's a, it's a, it's a protective thing. But when we don't get it in modern life, we go looking for substitutes. And what do we have? It's like, huh, here's a substitute. I'm going to go using this thing that gives me no in real life experience, no eye contact, and no touch. Just like getting all of your meals at a fast food place. It'll give you plenty of calories, but no nutrients. You'll be hungry right afterward. You can become both obese and malnourished simultaneously with fast food. And the same thing is true with social media. You can become basically obese and malnourished. You can actually binge, waste all your time, and get lonelier by the hour as a result of this because of the scarcity of this neuropeptide oxytocin. That's a around-the-horn understanding of how dangerous it actually is, and it explains a lot of self-harm. It explains a lot of depression, anxiety, especially among young adults. And it also it explains a whole lot about the isolation that we're seeing in our societies today. Well, and how do you manage social media? Like as someone who, you know, understands the science behind it and being in this world and social media being prevalent and you have being a public presence, like how do you manage social media and your consumption of it? And what tactics would you suggest for people listening? So I have a natural protective edge, which is that I'm old. <laughs> right. And, and so, you know, my, my brain was, I mean, I'm, I'm about, I'm 15 years older than you guys. And so that means in those critical 15 you look years, well, you look good, Arthur. I'm a, Hey babe, man, I'm a grandfather, but, good and, job. but you know, the reason I'm, I'm happily married is I didn't meet my wife on the internet and it doesn't occur to me to, you know, look up old girlfriends on the internet. You know, there's a lot of stuff that's protective from people who are over 50 and 55 at this point, but under 50, and it's, it's dicier because there's a, you know, more of a, when your brain was in the plastic phase, your brain is still wiring itself between the limbic system and the prefrontal cortex for women until they're 21 and men don't have fully formed brains until they're like 70. So <laughs> the point being that, you know, 
I like that. Love that. I like that. I would have thought more like 40. I would have thought 80. I would have thought 40. I would have thought more like 40. I mean, but the point is, if you have a, a social media experience before your brain is fully wired, you're, you're more likely to, to have suboptimal patterns that are wired into into your experience. For me, it's a little bit easier. But I can tell you, there's a, plenty of people my age that are really, really hooked, especially academics, fellow professors of mine that are really hooked on Twitter, AKAX. Oh, I know yeah. guys who are super productive scholars in the early part of the millennium who haven't written a book since 2008, 2009, but they write 30 Twitter messages a day. They're eating their seed corn. There's no unspoken thought. I know very respected journalists my own age who are ruining their careers because they can't, they can't not say the things that they think. You know, there's, there's no filter. There's research that suggests that on social media, it, it gives you an opportunity to say everything that you think, but you feel like you're not really responsible for it because there's no frowning person right in front of you. And so the result is that you do all kinds of terrible, irresponsible things that it also demobilizes you from productive, creative work is what it comes down to. So I'm not completely safe and I have to put guardrails around it. And the way to use social media is not to get rid of it entirely. However, if you're addicted to social media, I recommend a two to four week detox at the very beginning because you got to get your, your dopamine under control. Dopamine is the neuromodulator. Everybody understands it now. It's, the, it's, not a, it's not a pleasure chemical. It's an anticipation of reward chemical. It says good things are coming, do this thing, and it makes you, it gives you craving because it's anticipation of reward. If you're a dopamine monkey because of social media, the first thing to do is to not don't cut down, stop it for the first. I, I'd say if it's really bad, do it for a month. You won't miss anything. So when I have a book that's just new on the market. I get all of the apps off my phone completely. And I have people who work with me do all of my social media so that I'm not, I'm, I'm not chasing out. I don't have this chasing behavior that we, that we'll, you'll naturally get when you want to know what's, what are they saying? What are they saying? What's in the news? Do they love me? Do me? they love me? Do they yeah, think exactly I'm great? Right. Yeah. And the answer is they, some say they do and they actually don't care. And some say they hate you and they don't care either is the whole point. I mean, it's just, it's, it's hugely illusional the way that works. Okay. So go on a fast whether the fast is one week or two weeks or four weeks, and then come back and set it up so you don't use social media on your phone. You use it on your laptop. You use it on your device, and you put it all in one scheduled period in your day. In other words, from 7.30 to 8 o'clock in the morning, from 5.30 to 6 o'clock in the afternoon, you figure out when you're going to do it and use it only to catch up with a whole bunch of things. Like, what are these people saying? What's actually happening here? What's happening with my friends? In one 30-minute block across all platforms. Now, what's going to happen is you're going to get rid of the stupid nonsense. You're not going to be looking at TikTok anymore. Because TikTok is nothing more than emotionally numbing scrolling. It's like, you're not doing it as a tool. Many people use Twitter as a tool, but you'll use it in a responsible way as a tool anymore. And, and that's the best way to do it for everybody. Also, by the way, no phones in schools. It is insane that in your country and mine that we still allow phones in schools, that we still allow uh, uh, smartphones in schools. And what's happening is you see kids at the lunch table all doing this. In other words, they're, they're, they're substituting their in-person relationships for the virtual relationships that are more addictive. They're getting lonelier while sitting in front of their friends. It's at least there should be a six or eight hour break in children's lives for that. And the way to do that is for, for adults to be responsible and say, check your phone in in the morning and get it back in the afternoon. 
Yeah, like yeah. that. In, in, uh, in our little town, they it's the, one of the first towns in the world to ban, yeah. like collectively all the, the... A voluntary ban for mobile phones in uh, pre, like in primary schools. So there's no, like yeah. up until kids 12. are 12, there's no mobile phones in the schools, which is But great. I agree, I think it yeah. should be expanded. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'd love to ask... Absolutely, all the way through high school. All the way through high school. Yeah, uh, even in college, by the way, it shouldn't actually be. So uh, where I teach, I teach at the Harvard Business School, and we have a ban against all devices in the classroom, including laptops, because it impedes learning. You know, it's, if they, you know something's boring in my lecture, my students start shopping if they have their phones or their iPads or their computers in front of them. It's really bad. It's just bad. Humans are not evolved for these machines. Humans are evolved for in-person interaction to learn from each other is the way that that works. And so we need way more stringency on this. And by the way, I just saw this new study. It's very interesting. That anonymously asked thousands of kids in high school what they wished about social media. And the big majority wished that they weren't on it and nobody else was as well. Yeah. They would, as a matter of fact, the majority of young people say that they would pay money for there to be no social media. Wow. But it's an arms race. Everybody else is on, and they have to be on too. Yeah, yeah. My daughter said the very same age, twelve. She said, "I wouldn't be on it if my friends weren't on it. Like I'd much prefer not to need a phone." Like, but she said, "I don't yep. want to feel left out." That's right. That's no. exactly right. And so, you know, you can create. You know, it sounds like kind of a cult compound at this point, but you can create a community where you know the kids are actually seeing each other in real life more than they would be, except that we've created a society that revolves around these long-term cybernetic connections, virtual connections with each other, just completely inadequate. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm right. loving this. You're this brilliant. Like, no, 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 no. You're dominating. Let me have a go. Okay. Importance of struggle. We live in a life, in a society now where comfort is pursued at all costs, where pleasure is pursued, where it's all about enjoyment. And typically, you know, it's very ego driven, which I'm sure most civilizations have been, but it seems to be we're at really at the pinnacle of it right now. I wonder if we could talk for the, the importance of struggle and opposition yeah. and adversity. Yeah. Suffering is sacred. Ooh, so suffering is sacred. Suffering is Woo! sacred. It is absolutely. Why? Well, we can begin with, you know, you've got to, you got to defer your gratification to get from pleasure to enjoyment, to get real satisfaction in life. You'd need struggle. And you the more struggle you have, the more joy you get when you get to the a goal that you have set in front of you. And most of all, there's meaning. No meaning comes from that week at the beach in Ibiza. No, 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 no. That's not where you learn your meaning. You learn it from the bad things, the scary things. When you got sick or your mother passed away or you know somebody that you thought you loved left you. That's when you figured out how resilient you were. And that's when people figure out their meaning in life. The truth is, if you go through life trying to avoid unhappiness, trying to avoid suffering, you will paradoxically avoid learning and growth and you won't get happier is what it comes down to. The problem is that our therapeutic culture is telling young people today that, that if, they're, if, they're, if they're feeling anxious or sad, there's something wrong with them and they need to be treated. That's exactly wrong. You know. I say to my students, we, they, they go to a very kind of hard and fancy university. I say, look, you know, if you're not anxious and depressed, then you need therapy. I mean, seriously, this is life is hard, but you got to learn to manage it and learn to grow and have a community of people who love you, who can help you along the way. And that, that's what we're really missing in our therapeutic culture. Yeah, I think that one of the keys there that you said, the community people that love us and support us in the real world. Or IRL, world, IRL, IRL. Yeah, yeah. I want to. I want to move, move the focus slightly into so love, marriage, relationships, and the relationship with these in terms of happiness. Like, like back when we were 
when we were in our 20s and we were dating, there was no apps. There was no nothing. You met someone, you had to be yourself. There was only one version of you. You got a phone number, you had to, you know, it was very simple in a sense. Whereas nowadays it seems very complex. It really does dating with 60% of people meeting their mates online. I wonder if you could talk about right. the role of, of relationships, marriage, happiness, and the current environment with which we pursue these things. Yeah, so just as uh, the way that we meet and talk and interact is destroying friendship, it's destroying romantic love. And romantic love is one of the single most important things that we can have in a good life. What we find in you know the data, and my university has a thing called the Harvard Study of Adult Development that has followed people over an 85-year period. And the number one conclusion of the study is if you want to be happy and well when you're old, that you need lots of love in your life. And the two types of love that matter the most are a good and stable marriage, if you can, not everybody can, but if you can, and very close friendships. And neither one of those things you're actually going to get from, from you know, virtual means is the whole point. The problem in the current world, and in my, in my class, my graduate students are average, they're 28 years old. The number one thing they want me to lecture on is romantic love. It's what's happening in your brain when you're falling in love what's happening when you feel like you're out of control, how to actually get to the point where you can have a stable relationship, where, where you can have somebody that you love for the rest of your life. Now, you guys, how old were you when you got married? 30. 30, and 30. Then, I, then I got remarried again two years ago. Okay, so- 30 and 40. You, okay, so when you, and, and did you meet, you not, when you got two years ago, did you meet your spouse online? No, no matter in person. Okay. Now, the great thing about meeting somebody in person is there's randomness to the people that you meet, right? You meet them in church, you meet them in the bar, you meet them on the beach. You meet, you get set up by people who know you and love you, but there's randomness to the people that you meet. Now, the importance of randomness is the people that you're attracted to have two characteristics, a very basic low level of commonality, right? So there's certain things that you have in common, but then an exotic, interesting, enticing level of complementarity, of difference. That's the recipe for falling in love. We're alike enough, which is not very much, is necessary, and then we're different enough that we find each other really interesting and, 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 and enticing to each other. The problem with the way that we meet today is there's way more variety. People are meeting more people than they ever have before, but the data show that young people today who are dating are less and less attracted to the people that they're meeting online. They're dating more and liking them less. Why? And the answer is because they're curating their dating profiles to find people who are as alike as their sibling, which my adult kids will remind me is not hot. <laughs> Why? Because we are egomaniacs, because we're all narcissists. And so we set up our dating profile to say, I want you to vote like me and have the same taste in food and the same taste in music and the same taste in politics and the same... I want it all. I want you to be just like me. And then they meet the person and the person is not attractive to them because there's not enough difference, not enough complementarity. It's ruining romance. It's horrible. It's actually making it so people can't fall in love. And the result is that people in their 20s today are about a third less likely to say they're in love as people were in the 1980s when I was falling in love. Wow. What a statistic. People today are 30% less likely to fall in love. They're 30% likely to be in love. They're less likely to get married in their 20s. They're less likely to, fall, to live together in their 20s. They're less likely to have sex in their 20s. This is something that your parents oh. don't know, that uh, people are just like, lonely, dude, lonely. Uh, and what about marriage? Because it seems like, you know, the institution of marriage is probably on a decline. You know, I would say, in, certainly in the industrial first world, because there's so much opportunity and so much options, and it doesn't seem to be the same as it was 50 years ago. What's the stats in terms of marriage and happiness? 
that, that if you get married, you'll be happier. <laughs> bottom line is that marriage and is that the is same the for men and women? Is. is that the same for men yeah, and yeah. women? Yeah, yeah. For the longest time, there's been this this misinformation about this that that argued that women don't get any benefit from marriage, that they're not happier when they're married. But the the data that's coming out of the Institute for Family Studies, the University of Virginia, which is sort of the gold plated data on this, shows that married women are way happier than unmarried women at all ages. Is the way that this works out. They're even happier than than married men. You know, there's actually only one. So so married women are happier than married men. Single women are also happier than single men. They're both way unhappier than the married versions. The only group of women that's happy, that's that's un, that's unhappier, is divorced. By the way, widowed women are way happier than widowed men. You know, I told that to my wife, and she's like, "Huh, no." But <laughs> I don't know how to interpret that. But you get my point that that you know the marriage marriage is great for everybody. You know, like not every marriage is great. One of you's been divorced and remarried, right? I mean, it doesn't always work out. But take the shot, man. Take the shot. It's better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all. 100% agree. And then in terms of marriage, for people who are married and they're, nowadays it's much easier to start relationships via digital means and to meet other people, connect with other people. How do you, for anyone listening who's kind of going, okay, this is amazing. Okay, marriage, great. Really want to get into it. Really want to get into it. There's so much distraction. How does one focus like that their partner is the one? Is it intentionality and leading from the... The yeah. prefrontal cortex, the as opposed to the limbic, the executive part yeah, of your yeah. brain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, over, so, so, overriding, yeah. overriding the idea for cellmates. Oh, dude, I'm looking for my cellmate. They're not the one. Don't understand me. Yeah, yeah, the idea that I yeah, Exactly. It's just magical thinking is so dumb and so dangerous. You know, Disney thinking about relationships is so dumb. But there's one thing to keep in mind, which is that I tell you know young adults all the time, and this doesn't sound cool. But it has truth behind it, empirical truth, social science and neuroscience truth behind it. Dating is not entertainment, man. Dating is, I mean, there shouldn't be very many second dates as far as you're, I mean, t- time is ticking and you, you know, you're going to, the, the, the happiest thing, the single happiest institution in your life is going to be your marriage. So don't, don't miss it, man. And that means when you're dating, the question should be, could this be the one? And you mostly know. And if it couldn't be the one, don't just goof around, man, because you're wasting the opportunity for the next first date and the next first date and the next first date. This is uh, this is an auditioning process. Now, again, this is not <laughs> I like modern your thinking. style. <laughs> but I, I see a lot more women in my life that do that, like that they're, you know, their practices there because they've got a ticking biological clock. And if they want to have a family, they typically need to do it by a certain age, whereas men you know, they're less driven by those needs. So I see women adopting this approach much more than men. Yeah, for sure. Because, you know, men, women have this imperative that's a lot more apparent, but men have the same emotional and spiritual imperative. They just don't understand it. So this is the advice I'm giving young guys all the time. It's like, they'll, they'll talk to me about the fact that they'll say, you know, like I'm 32, 33, and it doesn't seem to be happening. I can't meet the right one. I can meet plenty of women, but I can't meet the right one. And it's like, cause you're going on too many, you're going on too many third and fourth dates, man. You know, you're going out with too many people that you think probably are not the one, but they're nice and fun. You're wasting your time. You know, eight tons of people go on first dates. You know, if it's not right, then don't use somebody, you know, go on to somebody who actually might be the right person for you and, and, and get serious about it. Get after it. I mean, this is way more important than your career. Why do you take your career with such seriousness and your romantic life with such triviality? It's crazy. It's completely upside down for your own happiness and life success. You're brilliant at giving out the hard truths. I love it. This is, you're really great. <laughs> but it's great. the same way, it's the same, it's in the same way that we go after these four gods, like these four fake gods of, 
You know, yeah. whereas it really is about the friendship, family, meaningful work and faith. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's like if it weren't about these things, if it really were about money, power, pleasure, and fame, think how many people would be happy today <laughs> and they're not. And so it's just on its face. It turns out that those things are nothing more than idols, nothing more than illusions. And, and this is what we have to actually keep in mind for all of our lives. Is the strategy I'm following working for me? Is scrolling Instagram making me happier or not? Is, am I finding the person that I love on Tinder or am I not meeting the person that I love? And if it's not working, do something else. It just makes, as opposed to, if you're, if you're in a hole, stop digging. That's the important thing. Try a new thing. And, and I, I, you know, so maybe the thing looks like something that your grandmother would say is a good idea. That doesn't mean it's a bad idea. Your grandma was probably pretty happy, actually. So maybe she had something right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, on that note, happy versus happy happier many of us pursue happy i want i just want if you yeah. ask most people on the street what do you want most people say i want to be happy as though it's this fixed position that i have arrived i am here yeah. versus it doesn't exist versus you teach a course called happierness or at least that's something like, something that you, you yeah. flirt around with um, yeah. i wonder if you could talk about that because i think it's a lot more attainable yeah well it, you know happiness in life or a quality of life well-being comes from progress humans by evolution are wired to making progress. We're not wired to get the ultimate satisfaction that's stable from hitting a goal. And we can't because if you actually got to ultimate happiness, it would mean that you've eliminated your negative emotions and a tiger would sneak up behind you and kill you immediately. It would be really, really bad if you no longer had any negative emotions because you no longer have an alert system to things you need to avoid in life. Furthermore, you'd never learn and grow ever again. So that's not what you want. You're never going to get ultimate happiness. What you need to learn is that, that you can get happier by avoiding the sources of maladapted emotions, by mastering yourself, by pursuing the goals that really matter, and, and, and learning and growing from the negative emotions and negative experiences that life still brings you. That's a full life. There's this fourth century saint named Saint Irenaeus, and he has this very famous quote where he said that the glory of God is a person fully alive. Now, he didn't say a person who's having a great old time all the time, fully alive. Fully alive means bring it on, man, bring it on. That's the glory of God, because that is to say, according to that theology, that to be made in God's image is to experience everything, but to be able to manage what that actually brings to you in your life. So the goal isn't happiness. That's unattainable. That's not even, that's not even desirable. The goal is happierness, is to make uh, is to make progress in our lives and to bring that progress to the lives of other people and have this sense of adventure and mission. I'm telling you guys, you know, I dedicated myself to the science of happiness as a social scientist a long time ago, but really intensively the, the five years ago, I stopped, I retired from my job. I, I had a CEO job and I walked away, which was crazy. I heard from about a million people. And I said, I'm going to dedicate the rest of my life to lifting people up and bringing them together in the bonds of love and happiness using science and ideas. My goal was to figure this stuff out and bring it to as many people around the world as possible because I think that a happier world is actually attainable if we see that as the adventure, the journey of our lives. I, I'm so into that. I really am. And it's the same way, the same way that wonderful quote by that famous person that I didn't know who they were. Um, the same way fulfillment. Fulfillment to me is the ultimate way if it, you requires the full of you. It requires every bit of you, like the good, the bad, the ugly, every bit of you. And that's why it's deeply it. fulfilling. 
And it's hard. Yeah. It's, it's extremely hard. hard. It's intense. It's difficult. It's overwhelming. It's rah! Which but is why it's so good. It's so good. It's so good. You know, we're so blessed. And I get it. It can be too much. I can get it that our negative emotions can be really maladapted. They can become a medical problem. That's the truth. And the truth is that some people have lives that are so hard that they need a hand. They get it. But no matter how good your life is on its face, you're still going to have struggles. You're still going to have heartbreak. You're still going to have difficulty and sacrifice. And, and that suffering is the source of your adventure. That adversity is an opportunity for you to say, yeah, man, yeah, man, this is life. This is life. And, and the way to deal with this is every day, to start every day and say, I do not know what this day is going to bring. Some is going to be good and some is going to be bad, but bring it on. I'm ready. And mm -hmm. it's, it's almost like retraining ourselves to embrace the hardship and the challenge because it seems like at least our current comfortable society, we all just crave that comfort, that ease, that downhill into the wind. Oh, isn't life wonderful? But if it was like that, it'd be feckin' boring. You need the speed bumps. Yeah. You need the wind. You need the rain. You need I the, know, the, the, I know. Yeah, the uphill. Well, it's, I, so cr it's so funny because, you know, people are sort of figuring this out by accident. You know, there's this huge craze. I do a lot of stuff in the fitness and wellness community. So I'm kind of a, I'm a kind of a nutrition and fitness nerd. And I'm kind of the happiness science guy that goes on a lot of these wellness and fitness podcasts. So I'm like, the, let's get the happiness guy. Because, you know, we're always talking about, you know, blood flow restriction training and how much vitamin D we should get. Let's get the happiness guy for that one thing. And so I'm kind of in part of these communities. And one of the things that I see is that they're all doing these weird, painful things on purpose. You can live a perfectly good, healthy life without doing cold plunges first thing in the morning. The truth of the matter is that nobody ever did that because it's insane. But now everybody's got to get a cold plunge tub, plunge tub. So that you every morning you get up at 4.45 in the morning and fill it full of water and ice cubes and get into it until you're in absolute abject pain. Why? Because people are trying to feel fully alive. That's why they're doing it. And the way you feel fully alive is to get a simulacrum for the struggle experience in an otherwise pampered life is the whole point. Now, I'm not saying that cold plunges are bad. I understand the dopamine response and the you know metabolic response that we get. But the whole point is your life has a lot of cold plunges in it. Don't avoid those. Don't avoid those. Lean into those. Very good. I love it. I love it. I really like okay, that. Okay, okay. I'd love to shift into because everyone listening here is going, I'm totally in. Arthur, you the man. You the man. So, so how do we break it down? So for people listening, they're going, right, like, this is brilliant. I'm, I really, I'm into this philosophy. What are some strategies for people listening? They're going, okay, right, social media, I get that. I, you know, I know, I know, I look at it too much or whatnot. And as you suggested, you said some strategies with there. And you suggested some strategies in terms of dating, if anyone's dating or love and marriage. But what would be some general strategies for anyone listening that goes, I want to feel better. I want to feel happier. There's so there's there's just tons. And you know, the the book that Oprah Winfrey and I wrote is a very practical book. And, and I read a column every Thursday morning in the Atlantic that has practical strategies every morning. So twelve hundred words on the sides of happiness and more importantly, not G Wiz stuff. It's how you can use it. But I'll give you a few sort of three basic ideas on three things to do to get get your happiness higher on point. Remember, happiness is enjoyment and satisfaction and meaning. So I'll give three things, one in each one of those baskets that everybody can start doing today. Number one, take a census in your life and ask, am I pursuing pleasure or enjoyment? And the way to do that, once again, is to say, the things that give me pleasure, am I compulsively doing them alone? 
And if you are, that's a huge opportunity. That's a huge opportunity for you to get that on point by actually breaking addiction and then adding people in memory and your life will dramatically improve. But that starts by being honest with yourself. Be honest with yourself. Am I doing something that's bringing me pleasure as opposed to enjoyment? That's not going to bring me greater happiness. It's going to bring me a sense of shame and guilt. And it's actually going to distract me from my ultimate goal. That's number one. Number two, satisfaction. Satisfaction is the joy that we get after struggle. The problem is we can't keep it. Mother Nature says that if you get that watch or that car or that relationship or that number of followers, that you get to that goal that you're going to enjoy it forever. And you don't. That gets you on what we call the hedonic treadmill of more, 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 more. So here's the second tip. Think about your satisfaction as being all the things you have divided by all the things that you want. Haves divided by wants. Don't just pursue the numerator. Start working on the denominator as well. Your satisfaction will go up, not just when you have more, but also when you want less. And that means you need a reverse bucket list. Make all your cravings and desires and write them down and say, I detach myself from this and this and cross them out. And that means your political opinions and, and, and your vanities and your delusions of grandeur. Hey, you might get it. Point is, you don't want to be attached to it. That will raise your satisfaction dramatically. I love third, that one. Less, yeah, that one's important. I mean, wants management is so critical. That last but not least is meaning, is how do you get more meaning? And that's a hard one, right? Because you can't go a single day without a sense of the why of your life and actually be happy. So I have a little quiz, a little quiz on whether or not there's a meaning crisis in your life. You gents want to play? Sure. Yeah, of course. Okay. So you got to answer two questions. You have to have an answer. Is this a rapid fire round? Test. Rapid fire no. round. Which is the better it is. twin? It is. It is. There, look, Arthur said it is, Dave. Come on! <laughs> Now, the way to flunk this quiz is to not have answers. Okay. The way to pass this quiz is to have real answers, not politically correct answers, not answers you give your mother, but answers that satisfy your soul. Question number one, why are you alive? To love. That could mean, to, okay, that, that's to, to do what, but also it could be, you know, who created you. That's another way, of, or both, ideally both. To, so to, to love, you're, you believe it, you're to alive, to love? I'd say to evolve, to grow to be a more useful human, to share and be of service to life and more joy and love. Yeah, to love and serve. You both said to love and serve. Yeah. Now, lit, live that. Write that down. Put it on the bottom of your screen. Bottom of my Start eyelids. each day oh, say, remember. Re yeah, exactly. <laughs> Second question. This, is get, this gets heavier now. For what would you be willing to die today? Family. Million percent family. Yeah, in other words... Easy. And Switch off, right? Family and friends. Yeah, yeah family, family and friends. friends. I'd go friends. Start well. with fa family, for sure. What do you mean by family? Kids, wife, brothers, Mom, mothers, dad. parents, friends who I adore. Would, would, would you die for your parents? Yeah, definitely. I don't know if they'd let me, See, but so, yeah. Yeah, that's the problem. So it's funny because when people really look into their souls, a lot of young people today, they don't know what they would die for. Would you die for an idea? No. Would you die for your country? No. no. Yeah. So, so these are hard questions for a lot of different people. A lot of young people don't have answers to these questions. These are the two questions to go in search of. The good news is, if you don't have answers, you don't need to sit in the foot of the, you just sit at the foot of the guru in a Himalayan cave. You need to look for the answer, your answers to these questions. And you do that through a process of concerted discernment, through sitting and and contemplating these actual questions. You know, I saw my own son. My son's, you know, he's the same age as you guys when you started your business. He just got out of the military. So he was a 
a sniper in the in U.S. Marine Corps until recently, and he's 23 years old. He's married, um, and when he was a kid, he didn't have answers to these questions, but now he has answers. You know, I ask him. I make all my kids answer these questions. You can imagine how fun it is to be my child. <laughs> and, I'd say that good man. Yeah, Four daughters. You know, why? Are you, yeah, I mean, I have I have two sons. My my sons are 25 and 23. They're both married. My older son has a his first child. My daughter's 20, so she's still in college. And my my middle son, who was kind of lost in high school, he's an adolescent. Today, you know, why are you alive? He's because God made me to serve others. He's same same question as you, but with the God part put in. For what are you willing to die today? And he said, for my faith and my family, for my fellow Marines from the United States of America. And by the way, for our allies too, he would die for you too. The point is, he's got answers. And having these are not the right answers, by the way, for everybody. For most people listening to us, they're like, ah, American brainwashing. I got it. <laughs> I got it. It's okay. It's okay. And these are not necessarily even my answers. But the whole point is he has answers and that's what we get to it. So these are the three things to start doing. Pleasure to sense, pleasure to enjoyment. Half your wants. Haves over wants. Wants or more important than haves and answering your two questions. I These love... are the three courses of action. One of my favorite quotes ever was, the richest person in the room isn't the person that has the most, it's the person that wants the least. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, and the, you know, the Dalai Lama says, I've been working very closely with the Dalai Lama for the last 11 years. And, you know, he says, he told me in, in, in uh, a public forum that we were in an interview that I was doing last year, he said that the secret to satisfaction is not having what you want, it's wanting what you have, which mm. is the same idea as what you just expressed. The ultimate acceptance. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> What's he like as a dude? Or he's as a, dude, or as a person? He's the, he's the best. I is love he? him. I love him. He's, cha he's changed my life so much. Is he like he's Yoda? He's changed my life so much. <laughs> no, he's, he's incredibly funny. He's incredibly lighthearted. He's incredibly kind to me. He, he, he's funny because every time I see him, you know, I'm for, you know, I've done it for years and years now at this point. And he always says, I want you to be a better Catholic. It's nice, isn't it? Well, uh, he's a Buddhist. Know, he wants me. He's a Buddhist and he understands that he wants me to be the best version of myself. And, you know, I'm a Roman Catholic. Like, probably you guys are both probably born and raised Catholic, whether you're practicing yeah. or not. And a lot of people are listening to us. And he says that he wants me to be my highest and best self by connecting to my own source of transcendence, which for me is my Catholic faith. He has made me into a much more religious Catholic. The most famous Buddhist in the world has made me into a more serious practicing Catholic. Brilliant, isn't it? Brilliant. Well, yeah, well, there, there lies the nugget, the transcendence, the capacity to grow outside of our egoic self and to evolve into realizing that we're a small part of this incredible journey called life. Yeah, right. And that's the reason that that faith thing is so important, not because the, my faith per se is the only way to get greater happiness, but you must transcend your individual psychodrama. You know, if we're left to our devices, Mother Nature will make you think that your lunch and your podcast and your money and your business and and your television programs are the most important thing in the world. And they're not. Of course, they're 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 trivial in the grand scheme of things. And when you zoom out to the majesty of life in a spirit of awe, whether it's through reading the Stoic philosophers or or your meditation practice or walking in nature or studying the works of Johann Sebastian Bach or going to mass. Whatever it happens to be, you need that because you must zoom out for peace and perspective. Amazing. Arthur Brooks, you're brilliant. You the man. I look Thank forward to you. hanging out with you in person. You have lovely, I would love that. wild, fiery when, energy. When we, like, come to, when we come to Boston, can we take you out for coffee? 
Let's do it. And I'm I'm in I'm in Dublin from time to time. You know, every year or two, I come and I do some in person teaching. Cool. So make sure well, they, we're in they, Boston they, in January. We're there the 13th of January to the 20th of January. Are you there? Because we we will come to to your neighborhood coffee shop and and buy you coffee if you would. <laughs> I don't know. It's a good question. I'm on the road every week. Because it turns out that people want to hear about happiness. And, yeah, and I go. want to be in person for the eye contact and touch. But if I'm here, if I'm here, we're, um, you're invited. Okay, cool. Great. I'll send an email. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. Love, love your work. Think you're ah, doing God's work. Thank you. Ah, so inspiring. Thank you. I'm just lovely to be with you guys. Thank you for the, 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 the joy you're bringing into the world and the lightness that you're bringing into people's lives. And, and furthermore, that you're doing it by actually creating a business that's ethical and good and good for people and helping us all understand that our, the way that we earn our daily bread should be a way that can lighten the load for others. That You're apostles for that, and I appreciate it. I love it that. definitely ticks that satisfaction box because there's a whole lot of lifting rocks. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> that's wonderful. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, thanks for your time, Mark. Really, 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 enjoy really New York, it. and we hopefully we see you in Boston or in Dublin's fair city one day. I would love that too. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Arthur. Thanks, Thanks Arthur. again. Send You're wonderful. Love. Bye. Cheers. Cheers. See ya. Bye-bye. Thank See you. See you later. Bye. Bye. While we have you, once a week, we write a newsletter. It's called Happier. It's got simple, tried and tested practices to make your life better. We include recipes and practices that you can apply on a daily basis to make your life happier. We've had lots of people say before that it's really helped make their life better. So you can sign up on the happypairs.ie, our weekly newsletter called Happier.